Hey everybody, welcome back. This is Bleach Mouth Postscript. This is part two of my conversation with Rich Miles. If you've not listened to part one already, go back and check that out. Then come back and see us here. Thanks for listening. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Kiss, you know. Well, yeah, and and that's just me being facetious, you know. Mm-hmm. But I mean, just I know where my how my tastes run, but I can't deny that over here with the Beatles and Led Zeppelin. And mm-hmm. I only used Led Zeppelin as a loose analog for Black Sabbath, you know, just like no, yeah. the Stones is a loose analog for the Beatles and Alice Cooper is the analog for Kiss. I mean, mm-hmm. a world of difference and they're not really, it's it's not apples to apples, right? No. But, um, you know, I mean, I always find it funny that how have you noticed this lately? Like how people want to like really shit all over the Beatles for no other reason other than the fact that they're trying to, <laughs> it's like a hot take, I guess. Oh, there's no real, and it's funny because there's no real basis behind it or justification. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, I could do without fucking Sergeant Peppers and half of mm-hmm. revolver, but you know, I love Abbey road top to bottom. That's a fucking yeah, I love that record. Well, right? the the White Album would have made a good singular LP. In my I think opinion. so. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's just you know, I mean, there's a lot of bloat there, and there's a lot of you know self indulgence. Yeah, yeah. That the Stones didn't always let themselves do. I mean, they did mm-hmm. in their own way, but it was way more focused. I felt, but anyway, mm-hmm. um, I just, I just think that 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 seems to be a hot take I've been seeing from people lately. And it's like, yeah, dude, you can't really shit on that band. I mean, I guess they can. Cause look, I sit around and I'm talking crap to you about kiss, you know? And well, here, here's what I would say. Here's what bothers me about the Beatles. And again, just to be fair, I like the Beatles, mm-hmm. but I think that the Beatles occupy a similar space to the clash. It's people who get their musical opinions from Rolling Stone and like maybe read some like every 10 years they read the best records of, you know, the best rock and roll records to ever come out. And then all of a sudden that's those are all their favorite records, you know, right. like it's just corny. And I, I think that like if you really like music, you're going to like some shitty stuff yeah. somewhere along the way. Yeah, I mean, there's there's plenty of um, shitty music that I like at mm-hmm. least like i love the first two wasp albums and those oh are, yeah those are really those are and people are like well you don't like kiss you like wasp i'm like yeah i do you know people <laughs> question that you know um one could argue that the first three twisted sister records aren't necessarily good but i think they're fucking great you know yeah no particularly they're... you know and um you know even though they're garbage human beings i can't front on the first two motley crew records those are good records no no I mean, like i mean mm-hmm. That's the thing, like that kind of 80s butt rock thing. Like there was a long time in my life where I was, it was just complete knee jerk. I hate that shit. But like, yeah, the first, I'll even say the first three Motley Crue records are really good. The first two are completely flawless. The Mm -hmm. third one has some songs. Um, 
the first Wasp LP, I haven't really like sat with the second Wasp LP enough to have an opinion on it. It's but it's like, a clean it's just a cleaner version of the first one, but it's still mm-hmm. really good. I remember their single was Blind in Texas, I think was the Blind in Texas and yeah. Wild Child and the title track got some play too, mm-hmm. The Last Command. Yeah. Um, yeah, I had a knee jerk reaction to that stuff too when I was first really getting into music heavily, particularly when I started listening to more hardcore and punk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think that I was looking at it in the wrong context. I oh mean, yeah. I think what I needed to see it as, well, here's an advent of a certain style of music. Mm-hmm. And if you really look at it, there are three or four really good bands with every mm-hmm. you know, change, every, every, you know, paradigm shift, you're going to find really good bands. And then the rest to a greater or lesser degree are hangers on and aren't really that good. You know, I, think- I mean, you can look to like with the butt rock thing, or hair metal, or as I used Poison to call it, cock rock. Mm-hmm. You can look to Motley Crue's early stuff, Rats early mm-hmm. stuff, and Wasps early stuff, and there's nothing wrong with those records. You know, I I exclude Twisted Sister from that because they predate that, and it's a different thing. Mm-hmm. Although sonically, they kind of have sort of some stuff in common. Yeah, have you ever wa- have you watched that documentary on Twisted Sister? No, I have not. I think it's on Netflix. It might still be there, but like, it's interesting because they, they ran the gamut. I mean, they started as part of that kind of, they were outliers, but part of that dolls world. Like, like they were, they were more, um, goonish. They Mm -hmm. were, they, they didn't have the, the savvy and the, the swagger that dolls did as far as personality goes, it seems like. Yeah. Although they're very, very cool people. I mean, I just, yeah. you know. Well, it, it's sort of, that's an interesting thing about New York in general. Like, even the, like, kind of pretty bands, like a band like the Dolls, like, yeah, they're kind of pretty junky boys, but at the end of the day, like, they're kind of big, dumb goombas anyways. Yeah. And, like, and like any, any stuff like, you know, like the 70s, like, proto-metal stuff from, from New York, you can almost tell it's from new york like sir lord baltimore or like dust yeah Mm -hmm. it's all just so like caveman like how crazy is it that marky ramon was in three bands that were pretty pretty mm -hmm. great in their own way yeah you know i mean i'm a huge um what do the kids say these days stan right Mm -hmm. for richard hell and the voidoids like i Mm -hmm. love that band um, but you know, you think about Dust and that band and Ramones, mm-hmm. and all three of them sound so different from each other. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a testament to how good of a drummer he actually is. Oh yeah, if you, you know? like on on the Dust LPs, he's like he's really like he's his style is pretty caveman, but like he's a really really solid drummer. Yeah, extremely solid. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, and, and the other two dudes in Dust actually produced the first Kiss LP. And maybe the first two. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mark I Bell did. and uh, I forget the other dude's name. But yeah. Well, Mark Bell is Marky Ramone. Oh, wait. No. Okay. I'm wrong. Ah, uh, shit. No, it's okay. I, I'd Google it. but No, I'm going the, to. Right the now, guitarist now, and bassist. <laughs> now it's driving me nuts. Um, So let's, let's stay on the whole. Uh, makeup train and let's talk about uh 
King Diamond because yeah. King Diamond is just. I love King Diamond. Um, I, yeah. Uh, Kenny Aronson. Yeah. Yeah. And Richie Wise, and it says mm-hmm. later projects. They they definitely. I, I mean, if they got points on the first Kiss LP, they're still yeah, paid. Yeah, Aaron, Aronson. Aronson recorded with Edgar Winter, Joan Jett, B- Bob Dylan, Billy Idol, Billy Squire, wow. Foghat, Sammy Hagar, Brian Setzer, Mick Taylor, Dave Edmonds, Graham Parker, Hall and Oates, Leslie West Band, Rick Danger, Jesus. Blue Oyster Cult, who, another New York band. Mm-hmm. You know, and actually, he's a current member of the New York Dolls. Oh wow! In whatever version that they exist in, which <laughs> is a really bizarre thing to think about, but just uh, yeah, okay, so. Anyway, let me let me back up because I really mm-hmm. want to talk about King Diamond quite a bit and yeah. um, how much I love King Diamond. Um, it, it's it's a weird thing because for me, when I first I heard Merciful Fate first, even though King Diamond was already a a thing, mm-hmm. like I, yeah. I heard Merciful Fate. And buddy played Merciful Fate for me. I'm like, oh, this is cool. This guy's got a really unique voice because he wasn't doing the falsetto nearly as much. Mm-hmm. And the music wasn't, I mean, they were great guitar players. It's great songwriting and musicianship, but it wasn't nearly mm-hmm. the progressive tendencies that King that King Diamond's solo work had. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first King Diamond record I heard was the one you listed on here, Abigail. Abigail, yep. And it took me about a week before i even liked it because (laughs) and i i was sold on merciful fate but there was just something i'm like i don't it was like too much do you know Mm -hmm. what i'm saying but something kept drawing me back to it and it was a great record tell me about the first time you heard it well uh in ohio did you have a there was a radio station there's i think kind of a chain called z-rock yes in cleveland it was like in the mid to late eighties ish, mm-hmm. I believe. Yep. And uh, eventually became an, uh, a soft, smooth jazz station when I was like a sophomore in high school. Yeah. So we, that, that was huge for me prior to college radio. Z rock was huge for me. Cause it was like, again, I didn't have a lot of money to spend on tapes or records, but I had access to, to hearing not necessarily the like super underground bands, but like, you know, any band on, on uh, Roadrunner or Metal Blade, I was able to hear that way. Um, my dad also, I was into that kind of stuff. He was pretty young when I was born. So he was into like hard rock, heavy metal. Um, but I remember hearing King Diamond and him being like, I'm not into this. This like, this just seems too over the top kind of what you were saying just too much with the falsetto and Mm -hmm. all of that at at which point that's probably the first point in my life where i was like i had a like extremely diverging opinion from my dad musically which just set you know set it up for later as i got into hardcore and stuff but anyways like i think that that was you know abigail was probably the most extreme thing i had ever heard at that point in my life you know it was it was so ridiculous all of his falsettos but he could also just like go back and forth like go from that to just like this really low growl and um honestly if i'm being i it's the first one i heard and it has a, a, a huge degree of importance for that but um i might 
what was it uh the lp after conspiracy conspiracy might be my favorite king diamond right okay yeah i mean i um i heard that one first as far as the solo work goes and then um abigail no yeah abigail was the first solo record mm-hmm. that i went back and listened to fatal portrait yeah reminded me more of merciful fate but he still had like a lot of hype you know his falsetto was so yeah out there and um so i like those two i like them mm-hmm. and i do like conspiracy but i'm with you abigail actually abigail's my favorite not because it's the first one i heard but because i just do think it's the best record um, but those other three that I mentioned are great, mm-hmm. great albums too. And was as I was, was Andy LaRoque playing on all three of them? I think he was. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, and as I was sitting listening to you speak about it, I thought to myself, you know, what brought me back was the songwriting and the musicianship mm-hmm. every time. Because, you know, there were bands that were playing faster and there mm-hmm. were bands that were playing um stuff that was as difficult to play but there wasn't anything as sound compositionally Mm -hmm. and there wasn't anything nearly as elegant and yes i did just use the word elegant but that's no (laughs) no i mean it's playing is amazing yeah i mean everything and then never we don't even talk about mickey d's drumming i mean that Mm -hmm. guy fucking but i think what i finally understood about king diamond was you know once like I knew that he was doing concept albums, right? Mm-hmm. But I was just not thinking that, you know, he's in character, right? Mm-hmm. I'm just thinking about like, you know, um, an omnipotent narrator, <laughs> right? As yeah. opposed to he's be, he's in character the whole time. Sure. And then once I sort of bought into that, I was like, okay, I'm on it. And then I realized how good of a singer he actually is even though those are just straight up falsettos yeah. and growls that you don't you aren't just able to do that and no. then finding out how much of the writing he was doing because i guess he plays guitar himself a little bit oh really huh. yeah he does that's what i read i i might be wrong about that but i know he plays an instrument you know mm-hmm. much the same way that i think you know ryan james dio was known as being he could play an instrument but everybody knows him as a vocalist right yeah another great 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 vocalist oh, yeah that guy put a pin in that because i want to bring something up <laughs> regarding kiss and dio but um yeah abigail just like and even though it was probably the hit other than the title track, even though it was probably mm-hmm. hit off the record. Omens fam- was the Omens family was pre. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. No, I was going to say the family ghost is my favorite song on that record. Like mm-hmm. when that guitar solo, Oh, you know what? God damn it. I did that guitar solos episode and I forgot to include that one. Cause that is just <laughs> ridiculously awesome. That mm-hmm. solo. And the the drama in that song alone is just you know it's amazing
Yeah, I mean, King Diamond's just fucking awesome. And Abigail was just like, I really, I would love to see somebody straight up, honestly, with a lot of money behind them, behind mm-hmm. them, straight up adapt that as a screenplay and try to make a legit horror film out of that. Oh, yeah. And they could. I mean, that it's creepy as hell. Oh, also, really, in a very hammer sort of way, not in a, you know, yeah. Friday 13th gore way, like in a very, no. you know, cool sort of way. Yeah. Well, in, in the music, not you know, Andy LaRocque's playing, not not his soloing, because no hardcore guitarist could play like that, really. No. But, like, those riffs, like, 
definitely bled over into like early 90s melodic hardcore yeah like i remember playing conspiracy for a friend of mine and he's like this sounds like empathy (laughs) 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 and he wasn't wrong really i mean well they they did you know king diamond that band and to a lesser extent merciful fate because merciful fate had a lot of more traditional like metal and rock kind of riffing Mm -hmm. but with king diamond's outfit they did the one thing that i always talk about you know a lot of bands can't do they're able to marry that kind of complex songwriting Mm -hmm. and make them instant instantly memorable yes like you like you've probably heard me say i'm a fucking broken record but usually when people start doing fretboard gymnastics man they lose the plot like they're not writing songs anymore and that bores yeah years but his solos are like a work of art in his so into themselves yeah well because he understands he understands songwriting like it's Mm -hmm. not he can get the work out in but he is ultimately trying to make the whole song better it's not it's not wanking Mm -hmm. and either you know so it yeah they're i don't know i mean I, I hate sometimes I hate looking at things critically because it's sort of a like I literally when I hear the family goes when I hear that solo mm-hmm. every time every single time the hair on my arm stands up because it's that it's that powerful to me yeah and King Diamond's yeah. nowhere near my favorite band but that that song and that particular solo is just it's beautiful it's amazing oh yeah this well and strangely i think i was listening to king diamond right around i basically discovered him and metallica around the same time which is like yeah it's kind of crazy to think about that well i mean you can go ahead i was just gonna say two bands that like in their own unique ways influence hardcore obviously metallica a lot more so than king diamond but i think that both of them have you know there's fingerprints in there yeah i think because people eventually they want to start um you know te- you know drawing from other wells to come up with new mm-hmm. ideas you know I'm, yeah. not always, I'm not always i'm notoriously not always a big fan of that because i think that there's a cer- certain specificity about hardcore that i think is what makes it beautiful mm-hmm. but i don't really truly have a problem with people adding stuff to the to i think the when level, it's you know when it's done well that's the problem is like and like rorschach's a band that seamlessly like they kind of were just a metal band with hardcore punk leanings mm-hmm. but i would still call them a hardcore band you know like yeah i mean those guys um are one of the exceptions to the rule mm-hmm. um yeah yeah, not, a bunch of them are escaping me right now. Um, <clears throat> what was I getting ready to say about King Diamond? Another thing about them. <laughs> um, oh, King Diamond Metallica. Uh, mm-hmm. It's funny that, you know, Metallica, you know, obviously has a greater footprint in music mm-hmm. by large. But if you want to compare the guitar players in the band, Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm excluding James Hetfield because he's it's really a good rhythm player. Yeah, he's one of the best, and that's mm-hmm. an art. Like people mm-hmm. don't people don't take that seriously. That's like a big deal. Um, if you talk about the guys handling the solos, I mean, 
Kirk Hammett is very skilled. Yeah. But broadly speaking, I hate his fucking guitar solos. I think... I well, and he's coming from a blues background versus more of a classical. No, sort of. I don't. Even, no, I don't even think he's doing that. Honestly, mm. I think that there's more soul and blues in Annie LaRocque's playing. In mm. that, it doesn't sound bluesy, but I say it feels that way because he's still servicing a song, a riff, and he's. Mm-hmm. It's not about the solo. Where oftentimes I feel when I listen to Kirk Hammett soloing, it just sounds like note salad. And that's not <laughs> like Andy LaRocque will go for a big note. Mm-hmm. Kirk Hammett doesn't always do that. He, he wants no. to, you know, um, the one exception I actually did think about including this in that guitar solo episode is um, it's not the only exception, but it's one that stands out. I love the soloing and ride lightning on that out on the, on the title track. <laughs>
that's a really good solo. I mean, he's capable of doing it. I just don't like his playing yeah. so much. You know, it's not, it's, you know, he's a shredder. Like, mm-hmm. And shredding isn't always something I go for, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, he he has a dirtier guitar tone than Andy LaRoque. So somebody might say, mm-hmm. well, he's bluesier. It's like, well, and he uses wah-wah all the time now. But I'm mm-hmm. like, well, that's not, I actually think LaRoque, even though it sounds more classical, the one that he's able to go for that big note and mm-hmm. carry something, you know, your best blues players tend to do that. It just it's you, it, different keys and different you know, but the idea is the same. It's about the riff. It's about complimenting mm-hmm. the riff in the song, and I don't mm-hmm. think Kirk Hammond always compliments the riffs. He just kind of starts wheedly deedling, you know. So. <laughs> you know, what's also interesting though. Real quick is I think that both of them were pretty heavily influenced by Uli John Roth. Yeah. It's just one one definitely took it into into a better place you know oh for sure for sure and that's that's a guy like i don't care for the scorpions but the Mm -hmm. number of great guitar players that have been in that band is oh yeah kind of insane you know if i do have an era of uh the scorpions i do enjoy at least a little bit it's the era he was when he was the guitar well i like you know michael shanker too but i'll just listen Mm -hmm. to ufo if i want michael shanker right true you know well, but, I, I think I like every Scorpions record up to and including Blackout. After that, I just kind of, it just seems too pop. They have songs. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's, I don't, I don't dislike them. They, they have songs. Some of it's just, it's just not for me, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, I can think of other records I'd rather listen to and, you know, but Uli John Roth, I mean, I, I'll listen to those ones. Those are, you know, yeah. pretty, pretty entertaining. Um, sure. So another band on your list that I only know, and correct me if I'm wrong, they are from San Diego? Oh, Antioch Arrow? Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, they were a part of that. Um, it's what the kids, I guess, would call Screamo now. <laughs> well, but, but what, was, like, what was the label? Were they? Gravity. Yeah, they're part yeah. of that Gravity thing. Mm-hmm. I only know Gravity from... Um, Fuck, weren't two of those guys a part of that gravity scene eventually in Born Against? Universal Order um, Armageddon? Born Against, well, no, yeah. Uni- Born Universal? Against Where's Born Universal? Against did a split with Universal Order of Armageddon on, that was put out on gravity. Um, those dudes were all from the East Coast, though. Okay. Uh, Tony, oh, Joy, Tony Joy, who was in Moss Icon, was in uh, Universal Order of Armageddon. And when I saw uh, Born Against on their last tour, One of those uh, dudes he was playing now. bass. Yes, the drummer. Yep. We I went to I went to his uh, spot in New York City when I when I was there a year half ago or so. So tell me about Antioch Arrow because I never I never gave them a chance. Like I had heard mm-hmm. stuff from the label and I was just like, I, I don't need this, right? <laughs> you know, yeah. not, and not because you know, it also might have had something to do with where my head was at at the time. Mm-hmm. I was really disillusioned with um, most of the 90s, although that was gotcha. arguably my and your era, right? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I, I, I tell people often, like people who romanticize the 90s who weren't mm-hmm. there, or I say, well, you don't know what you're talking about. It was a miserable time. And mm-hmm. uh, people who were there are romanticizing something. That, I'm like, 
either you were okay with some of the nonsense that was going on or Mm -hmm. you're just, you know, and I don't say that from a position of, well, I bet it was better in the eighties. No, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that either because I don't know. I mean, I only started really listening to hardcore in 86. So what do I know? Mm -hmm. Really? I'm just talking like my personal experience with some of the music that was coming out. Mm-hmm. and i heard a gravity records band i don't know which one it was but then i was like uh i don't need this so tell me about antioch arrow and cool. why should i why should i check this out mm-hmm. so a lot of the gravity records roster um it doesn't it was it wasn't of great interest to me like a band like angel hair i it's not that i disliked them i just didn't care about them mm-hmm. um but heroin and antioch arrow which shared members uh that time in the 90s where like either like what you would look at as punk or hardcore was either like you know very dc centric which meant you know really melodic and kind of only tangentially uh from a musical standpoint punk um or it was all uh very metallic you know chug 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 so if you were looking for fast hardcore, I mean, there was bands like uh, Drop Dead, but they were kind of the minority. So like if you were looking for something that was fast, but wasn't necessarily just a, a folk, a, a folkish rendition of, uh, I don't know, like Minor Thread or, or Deep Wound or whatever, uh, Gravity was kind of doing that. They were They were like doing... 80s hardcore but kind of with this sort of weird art school sensibility mm-hmm. that that was really interesting to me um heroin that band just real quick to talk on them they were they were basically i think i bought their seven inch because i read a review where they were it was uh the description was infest covering dag nasty songs so like that really appealed to me. Um, Antioch Arrow, on the other hand, the first record was kind of, I don't know, Decreutzen sort of fast, disjointed, uh, hardcore. Um, mm-hmm. Like, you know, first LP era, Decreutzen, Cows and Beer, that kind of thing. Right. But uh, that the one that I, I uh, mentioned is, it's really fucking weird. I remember me and one of my best friends were sitting and listening to it in his living room and his dad, who was a musician, came in the room and was like, what the fuck is this? We're like, Antioch Era is like, sounds like Captain Beefheart being played fast. Huh. So that's, yeah, that's kind of what I like Captain Beefheart, so. Yeah, it's, yeah, the, it's a really weird record. They added keyboards and uh, it's just such a weird to me and this is in I love with jets correct yeah yeah so is it is this just your favorite record or is this something that maybe you would say to somebody like me hey maybe you should look at this again because you're missing out would, would you steer me to this one or a different one i would probably steer you to that one um the first one's pretty standard uh like i said hardcore uh punk um but with that like i said that kind of art school sensibility right and they just went all in on the second LP. Rolling. Stop 
yeah. which makes it you know a more interesting record in my opinion yeah it was it was weird because i think um <clears throat> i had so many um bad feeling towards you know mm-hmm. uh that sort of thing about <clears throat> is equally in equal measure is the bad feeling i had mm-hmm. towards a lot of what was going to become metalcore and yeah uh, what was going to become tough guy stuff and mm-hmm. you know a lot of things that about the 90s was just such a weird weird time and see um, it was wow I don't know how mm-hmm. we navigated it sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I, I hate words like emo and screamo and all that shit. Like to me, it's it's punk, it's hardcore punk. But like, well, I never I, thought of the Gravity Bands as emo bands. I thought they. Oh were, no! I always thought of them as like punk bands, even though I don't know much about them. Mm-hmm. Like, well, that's a punk band. I just don't like this kind of punk. You know. So, their music generally was kind of frantic, fast hardcore punk but the lyrics were very sort of artsy and you know um but i guess what i'm i'm getting at is like at the end of the day when i i signed out of that kind of world was when it was like there were people with weird sort of like almost professional musician attitudes towards shit Mm -hmm. and it just felt really weird like i i don't know like there there's just there was that period in the 90s either there was a lot of people. Well, there wasn't a lot of people. There were people making money, and they seemed to be getting weird attitudes about shit. You know, I think anytime you introduce money into something that is mm-hmm. novel or new, that that things do get weird. Mm-hmm. Because, look, I mean, I think relatively speaking, you know, to backtrack towards the Ineffect Records and the Combat Core thing. You know, mm-hmm. uh, the born against of the world had a huge problem with that, right? Yeah. And <clears throat> the their their thesis wasn't maybe thesis is a bad word, but the their idea wasn't necessarily wrong. Mm-hmm. But I think they were looking to the wrong bands, you know, because really, I mean, if you look at mm-hmm. like a band like Sick of It All, which is you know, mm-hmm. it's like they weren't playing at least at that point they weren't playing rooms any bigger than the ones they were playing previously right? no no and so they you know born against didn't have any um substance to their argument the problem was though that mm-hmm. that was the beginning of you know a lot of bands sick of it all is not one of them but a lot of bands changing their sound to, to chase mm-hmm. that money and become yeah. professional musicians and then it also kind of in the the perpetual success of sick of it all mm-hmm. and, and as it grew you know laid the groundwork for the hate breeds of the world you know yeah. and and so that professionalism that you're talking about yeah that's just fucking strange i don't i mean take it seriously you know mm-hmm. you know work hard at it and you know that sort of thing don't fuck off but you know mm-hmm. chasing that dollar thing that's an odd so strange i don't i just don't get it well and i so my take on the born against thing i think that born again i mean after they after the debate i would say maybe at the end of even born against they were just like man like as you get older and like have to you know work shitty jobs or whatever to pay your bills 
all of a sudden like making money off of music doesn't sound like such a bad thing. No. Um, so they definitely, like, I think there was at one point Sam McFeeters was, had written something where it's like, Oh yeah. Um, I'm sitting, I'm sitting in a barn wearing a pair of camo shorts that once belonged to a member of sick of it all sick of it all sick of it all is in Europe right now. I guess they won the argument, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, I mean, my, at the end of the day, my whole point is it it's not so much that I care whether a band wants to be professional, you know, mm-hmm. like that's, that's perfectly fine. If that, if that's your, what you're setting out to do, and mm-hmm. if you're just being honest about it, then I've got no problem with it. It's the folks that mm-hmm. uh, purport to be against that sort of thing and, yeah. and have ideologies that are antithetical to that, and then they do it. That's when I have a problem with it. It's, I, it's like, be honest about it, and there's mm-hmm. not going to be any beef. I mean, because the world mm-hmm. needs rock stars. Don't get me wrong. And I, I yeah. say that flippantly, but it's kind of true. We need, you know there's a place for bigger than life personalities and people like Mm -hmm. kiss and people like whoever there's a place in the world for all of that. Yeah. Don't don't come out here and act like you're not that you're dead set against that. And then sign to a major label. It doesn't make any sense to me. Well, and, and I think like born against actually had a much bigger impact on my life, which isn't to say I don't like sick of it all. Mm -hmm. It's just that, I mean, past the first two LPs after that, I don't really give a shit. I'll go see them live because they're an amazing live band. In theory, I agree with Born Against Argument. Mm-hmm. I just yeah. don't think they supported it very well. And Sick of It All was not the band to be picking on because it's well, like, and it was like they were, it's like, it was like they were the most convenient target. And I don't mm-hmm. really feel that they were like the source of the problem. The problem they no. were looking at was kind of like, it just didn't make any sense to me. And well, they, frankly, and- they sounded stupid. 
you know yeah well here here's the thing with the borning it's thing they were they were kids in their late teens early 20s who don't understand that you have to you have to compromise sometimes yeah and and i think that's the thing but also i don't think it was the way i recall it i don't think it was necessary sick of it all was i think a band that was willing to come on but i think it all sort of sprung out of the the hawker records thing like hawker records did free that free for all concert mm-hmm. and and i think that adam nathanson and sam mcfeeters like you know kind of flyered it, or something. it. Yeah. yeah all right this is our last song goes out to my friend debbie from upstate who i haven't seen in a long time i'd like to thank everybody for coming down to the show Walker Records for putting on the show. CBGB's for having us.
That's all we got. And and I get like not wanting the big business interests in. At the end of the day, though, like <laughs> no matter what, I mean, any place I've ever worked for is big business. So, yeah. I mean, if yeah, Born Against was was fortunate to be able to to one degree or another be solvent as a band without really making very many compromises. But I think it also had to do with the fact that for a period of it, Sam was bankrolling it all with his, with his inheritance. So. <laughs> 100%. I mean, yeah, that was, that was another thing. And then, but anyway, to your point, like, you know, intentionally or otherwise, you know, sick of it all made it viable for a lot of other mm-hmm. bands to, see hardcore as like um in whatever form it, it becomes because mm-hmm. half the bands that call themselves hardcore now i don't even really feel fit the bill but yeah you know there's there are careers to be had you mm-hmm. know people who make well, as much or more money than i do a year as a teacher mm-hmm. that are you know musicians in a metalcore band you know yeah you know the 90s was just weird people started playing Ozfest. people started you know doing weird <laughs> shit you know and yeah. anyway it's just i don't know it, it like i keep saying to a lot of these kind of discussions to, it's not going to change my day tomorrow it's no. not i mean you know um but they're fun discussions to have and you mm-hmm. know i just i love born against quite a bit but you know mm-hmm. That was another thing about the 90s that bothered me. You brought up the money thing. I always used to kind of like, I always kind of scoffed at some of the dudes in the 90s. I'm like, who's this upper middle class rich white dude mm-hmm. caping up for Riot Girl or people of color? It's like, dude, well, yeah, you go back to college, man. You don't, you have no dog in this fight. Stop, you know. Well, like- and, and that's that's kind of the thing that one could certainly, you know make the argument that that the whole that whole wnyu debate was class i mean it was classism like yeah I, I mean i don't know what adam's background is but like they certainly were from you know i i mean sam was going to nyu right. like you know he clearly was doing okay or he was you know whereas like you know, the Kohler brothers were very much working class Queens kids, you know? Right. And it's, it's, I always, you know, took umbrage with that. It's like, yeah, I mean, I'm not into the, the whole, you know, playing hardcore for money thing. And Mm -hmm. a lot of the, uh, you know, trappings that come with that, the, you know, and not necessarily sick of it all, but just Mm -hmm. whatever. Um, But like some of the aesthetic and, the attitudes and the the culture surrounding that you know mm-hmm. um i'm not really into that you know no but don't talk to me down to me like i'm a dummy like i don't see what you're doing when i know mm-hmm. that you know tomorrow you could just decide you're gonna you know become a college professor and live your life in academic world and mm-hmm. never have to relate to anybody outside of that small sphere you yeah know, i just don't well, what I'll say real quickly is not giving a shit about money, even though I come from a very working class background, mm-hmm. like not giving a shit about money for my 20s, for all of my 20s and, you know, most some of my 30s, like 
it made things possible that wouldn't have been possible to me, you know, yeah. like, so like not every band can be sick of it all or, uh, yeah, hate breed, I guess, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I don't like, it's sort of a weird thing because I have so much, even though I like the, that seven inch that hate breed did on, on, um, smorgasbord, like I have so much fucking contempt for what hate breed represents. <laughs> uh, I do, I do as well. And I'll actually take it a bit further. I really only like the split with neglect. Hmm. That's the only thing. I like, I like thunder the knife thing. Yeah. I mean, there are a couple tunes on that that are okay, but if somebody said name a hate breed record you'd like, I would pick that one, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so look, this whole talk about money and mm -hmm. that sort of thing can circle dovetail nicely with kiss because, uh, one thing Paul Stanley said that I believe is 100% true. He said, the only thing having money really truly grants you mm -hmm. is the ability to not have to worry about it anymore. Yeah. That's uh, from a uh, uh, decline of Western civilization, in the metal years. <laughs> yep. But he's yeah. not wrong. He's right. He's right. 100% right. Yeah. And so when you think about it that way, you know, Again, I don't begrudge people for uh, playing music as a career, but you mm -hmm. know, I'm naive still enough to believe that if you say something, I kind of expect you to mean it. You know. Mm -hmm. and well, so the last show I went to was in New York. It was 108, and Race Trader played. And since I'm old friends and spent a little bit of time in Race Trader, I hung out with them. And uh, Andy, their drummer, is in Fall Out Boy. I ain't mad at him the least bit. Like, he's he's able to live very comfortably and do these, like, things that he's going to lose money on, you know, sure. without having to worry because of some band that I would bet he probably thinks is shit. I can't say that. I've never asked him, but yeah. I would guess is. And if not, he at least knows that most of his friends don't like his band, you know? <laughs> Well, hey, look, this was a lot of fun. I mean, mm -hmm. um, I really appreciate you coming on and doing this. And, uh, you know, um, I like your list because it's pretty pretty wild and far afield from everything. But I think you're able <laughs> to sort of tie it in pretty nicely, which is the whole point, yeah. you know. Yeah. And, um, but, yeah, it's great. I'm glad I'm getting to know you. And I yep. really appreciate you coming on and doing this with me, man. It was, it was awesome. Thank you so much. All right, that's it. That's all I got. I want to thank Rich for hanging out and chatting for a bit. Uh, I always enjoy our conversations about music and whatever it is we happen to be talking about at the time. And if you want to interact with me, you can do so on social media, Facebook at Bleachmouth Postscript, Instagram at Larry underscore Bleachmouth, and the email is bleachmouthps at gmail.com. Uh, I don't fuck around Twitter. Twitter's fucking lame. It's uh, a cesspool. Uh, you can... Check out earlier episodes on Apple Podcasts. Uh, I would appreciate if you could subscribe, rate, and review. Uh, you won't find them on Spotify because I'm not fucking on Spotify. Anyway, I thank you uh, all for listening, and I want to apologize for the delay between episodes. But, you know, life happens, and uh, I got some more stuff coming up. 
uh, that I think you might enjoy. Anyway, thanks again for listening, and uh, thanks, Rich, for hanging out. Talk to you all soon. And we